some point in your life, you've probably had a desire to become a professional athlete. It's a great life, right? The money, the fame, the fortune, playing the sport you love and making a living doing it. Life would be perfect, right? Being an athlete in general, I think, is uh, it's, it's a really amazing experience, but it's a really gluttonous existence. It's very self-serving. You know, you are the only one uh, promoting yourself, benefiting from this. You know, you're talking about yourself. You're having all these amazing life experiences, but it's all about you. And that's, to me, that seemed like a really wasted opportunity. Don't worry. It wasn't wasted. The day I decided that, uh, that I was going to teach people with cancer how to kayak for free and I was going to start a nonprofit. This podcast is supported by the DeLorme InReach Explorer, the world's only satellite communicator with built-in navigation. Send and receive text messages, create waypoints, and find your way back from anywhere in the world. There's not much time to get $35 off of your purchase. Go to inreachdelorme.com and use the code MEISTER at checkout. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. Today, we welcome Brad Ludden, who's a professional kayaker. He began traveling internationally at the ripe age of 12 and has completed over 100 first descents. What's that number? Do you have an exact number now, Brad? No, I, I think it's, I, I like to just round it out to 100 because okay. that makes me feel cool. <laughs> First Descents is also the name of the nonprofit he founded in 1999 to offer young adult cancer fighters a free outdoor experience to reclaim their lives and connect with others who are doing the same. However, Brad, we're going to start our conversation today with maybe your most prestigious accolade, it's Cosmopolitan Magazine's Hottest Bachelor in America in 2008. Congrat- oh, yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Uh, thanks, I think. <laughs> How does one become a, a Cosmo Bachelor of the Year? Oh, I think it's just bad luck, really. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it was actually a pretty entertaining process. So uh, a, an acquaintance, a, a friend, someone I'd worked with uh, on a media campaign, actually, uh, nominated me for this, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea this was happening. And so one day, out of the blue, I get a call from a New York number, which isn't too uncommon, you know, when you're in in, in sort of the athlete media business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I answered, "Hello, this is Brad." And they said, "Hello, this is Cosmo Magazine, and we're calling to notify you that we've chosen you as Colorado's hottest bachelor." <laughs> and and I mean, if if you know anything about kayaking, you know that it's like a really great group of friends who always play jokes on one another. And so immediately I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not falling for this one, boys. Like, who is it? Who put you up to this? And and Cosmo was just like, excuse us? Like, sorry, we, I don't understand. Why are you saying that? And I was like, who? No, really? Who? And so this went on for like five minutes until finally they were like, we don't know how else to tell you this. Like, this is really us and this is true. Anyway, so I was like, wow, this is awkward. I'm so sorry. Didn't, I thought it was a joke. Who, you know, how did this happen? They told me the whole story. Uh, and then I had to fly out and do this photo shoot in LA, uh, which was equally entertaining uh, and embarrassing. Uh, certainly not something I would have chosen to do. Uh, and then 
Uh, fast forward a couple of months to that fall, and they flew us all to New York and did this whole media blitz around it. And you know, we were on the Today Show, and some of the guys were like doing push-ups, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> if any of my friends see this, I'm like, this is just awful." And sure enough, they pick one bachelor that can that can uh, you know win the whole thing and, and wins ten thousand dollars. And I had found out about that in, Cal- in California at the photo shoot. And I was like, man, I, you know, this was when First Ascent was still in its infancy somewhat. It was still growing. Our annual budget at that time was, like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, 10 grand is actually a big number. And yeah. I was like, if I could win this thing, I could donate that money to the, to the charity and it could be, it could be a good thing. And so I sent out an email saying as much. Uh, and you know, I sent it to like, I don't know, a hundred people that I knew just saying, Hey guys, like, this is really embarrassing. Please don't judge me, you know, but I need your vote for this thing, uh, because I want to donate the money to first to sense. And the, the email went viral. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah like almost like to the point of being bad. And so anyway, sure enough, they, they ended up picking me. I won this whole thing. And then the next day I was like back on the today show. And so the, the thing kind of blew up in my face in both good and bad ways. Right. It got a bigger than I had hoped it would and but but for a good reason and so it's kind of a one it's like a tattoo that you get when you're 18 you know it's mm-hmm. like well it was a good idea at the time so it but it doesn't go away and so right. it still follows me everywhere you know I mean you're talking about it now here, yeah exactly here we are talking about it uh, some seven years later it's funny uh this actually is my first run-in with the Cosmo Bachelor of the Year contest my <laughs> my current roommate was named New Hampshire's most eligible bachelor, or whatever the uh, terminology is, but he didn't win the national comp- uh, competition. Um, but his story is very similar to yours. One of uh, our mutual friends secretly nominated him for this, uh, and he just went through with it. Anyway, for the listeners, we're going to have Brad's picture plastered all over our website on his <laughs> Meister profile page. Maybe that'll increase our, our web traffic, Brad. <laughs> it, well, you or decrease. It depends <laughs> on your audience, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's funny after after being nominated for this whole thing. It's actually it's more common than I had thought. I have a few friends hmm. uh, who who have been through this, uh, and so it's it, that I guess misery loves company to some extent. Made me feel a little better. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm sure we could actually talk about this for the entire interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, plenty of stories. That's for a different podcast. Um, so you are a professional kayaker. I asked you, how does one become a, a Cosmo Bachelor of the Year? Now, how does one become a professional kayaker? Let's start with your childhood. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, I, I think <laughs> professional kayaker people, every time I say that, people are like, does that really exist? Mm-hmm. Um and, and to the extent that we believe it does, yes, it exists. Uh, for me, it was, uh, I started kayaking when I was nine years old. My parents, my mom actually, and it's important to say that, my mom started kayaking first. She loves the water uh, and really wanted to find something here in northwest Montana that she could do out on the water, and she discovered whitewater kayaking. And I think my dad felt really emasculated by that. So it lasted like three months of her doing it on her own before he was like, okay, I got to do it too. <laughs> Uh, and so then they became the weekend warriors, you know, every weekend the family would pack up, get all the kayaks, all the gear in our tents and head to some river, uh, usually in like Northern Idaho or even up in BC and we camp out and my parents would kayak and, you know, my sister and I would cruise along and watch and, um, three years later when I was nine, my sister was 11. Uh, she's my only other sibling. My parents decided it was time that we join them on the water. And so they bought us our own kayaks and, um, and there began sort of my interaction with the sport. Uh, 
the first two years were were kind of uh, more of a hate relationship than a love relationship. Huh. I was really, really afraid of kayaking. Uh, and I, I just remember like every time we'd go out, I'd just start crying and I, and then I'd make my parents take me out of the water. That's really surprising <laughs> to hear given the videos that I've seen of you. <laughs> well, yeah, I, there, there was a turning point. Uh-huh. Uh, fortunately, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was still really scared on the water, but it was a, a more of an enjoyable feeling mm-hmm. later in my life. Um, so back then, I actually quit kayaking. When I was 11 years old, I was like, I just can't keep doing this. And my parents were like, that's fine. You don't have to. But my sister went on to keep kayaking. And there again, I started to, I became really jealous. I was like, man, she's getting all this attention. You know, she, everyone's like sitting around the campfire the other day talking about how great she did. And like, no one even noticed me. And uh, so my ego was like, that's it, Brad. You're, you know, get back in the kayak. And uh, sure enough, that year, I kind of fell, fell in love with it. I actually went down to Chile when I was 12 years old to train slalom kayaking, and uh, that was my first international trip. And on that trip, I I remember the day, actually, that I fell in love with the sport. I It, it went from being something I was afraid of to something I enjoyed doing, and, and that, in my mind, was really the beginning of my, my uh, kayaking career, so to speak. Well, what was so special about that day? Uh, I went, I was with a buddy of mine, Trent Long, he, he and his family owned Cascade Raft Company in uh, Idaho on the Payette Rivers. And he was just a, he was like a legend of our sport. He, he was the same age as me. He was just really, really good at kayaking. And he saw that I was really struggling, you know, with the fear of kayaking. Uh, and so he said, Hey Brad, he pulled me aside. And again, I'll never forget this. He said, you're going to follow me down this section of river, which was harder than anything I'd done to that point. And he said, you're going to, every stroke I take, you're going to take. Everything I do, you're going to do. You know, you will stay right behind me and do exactly as I do. And that act uh, made me feel kind of like safe. Uh, and it also like opened my eyes to, to like how to confidently kayak down something. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, this is it. Okay, now I get it. And it was literally like from that point on, it was, there was just no turning back. All I wanted to do all day, every day was kayak. I mean, like skipping school any chance I got on the weekends, like loading up cars, finding friends. I would like call all of my, anyone that knew how to kayak and had a car <laughs> like, when I still couldn't drive. And I was like, Hey, you don't know me. And I'm, I'm little, but I promise I can do this. Like, can I come with you on this trip? And they were just like, what, who is this? So anyway, I would stop at nothing to kayak. And I, I think somewhere along the way that turned into uh, a profession simply by way of the fact that like I'd become, you know, relatively good at it. Uh, I was this young kid out there doing it a lot, and I think sponsors were like, "Oh, we should, you know, we should get our gear on him. We should start, you know, hooking up this kid with yeah. with our products." Uh, and so it just sort of like gradually blossomed uh, into this this profession where, you know, one day I stopped and looked around, and I was like, "Wow, this is my job," um, and I was really happy about it. <laughs> that's so. I mean, God, that's so neat to love something so much. Just, uh, do you do you still? feel that love for it like you do as a child or I, I don't know I mean I would be okay if you said that you don't love it as much uh, as you used to I don't know what does it feel like to love something that that much it was uh, I mean you know when, when you're a teenager your early 20s like the world at least from where I sit today it was a simpler place mm-hmm. a simpler time you know I mean I, I, I had very little zero responsibilities I didn't care about owning anything a home or a car or, or otherwise uh, and so I had no debt. All, all I wanted to do was paddle. And so mm-hmm. um, there was sort of this blissful time in my life when, like, the only thing I had to do every day when I woke up was kayak. Yeah. And I, I, unfortunately, like, you know, 
it was kind of wasted on me because I didn't realize how good that was, but I did, I did enjoy <laughs> it. And so, you know, to say I, I still love the sport, there's no question. I think I look at it very differently. I appreciate it for different reasons. Uh, but I still like when I get on the water, I still become this, this child at heart, you know, I'm very playful. I just start goofing off and laughing. And, um, you know, I, once I'm on the river, everything else fades away and that passion does come back. Uh, when you do, when you do a sport, I think any extreme sport or adventure sport to that level, you know, when you get to that sort of like dangerous point, mm-hmm. um, there's a small window in time that you can sustain that. And as soon as you can't sustain that anymore, you have to learn to love the sport differently. Just because you can't go out every single day and run a first descent in a remote part of the world that is, you know, incredibly dangerous, like. Yeah. So, you know, so y- your passion doesn't have to, to fade or go away. It just has to kind of r- sort of rechannel a little bit. And so that's what I found myself doing with kayaking. So I wouldn't say I love it less. I just love it differently. I, I was listening to a, t- a talk that you gave, uh, and I found it really interesting when you talked about your parents and how much freedom they gave you as a child. And you left home at the age of 13 uh, to pursue this life. Uh, can you talk a little bit about as a child how important that was to be given that freedom? Yeah, again, one of those things I think only really came to light in hindsight for mm-hmm. me. Um, you know, at the time, my parents they did they sent me off on a week long retreat, actually in the Colorado uh, Rockies, with like seven other boys my age. Uh, I always describe it as like Lord of the Flies. We were, you know, like it was like free reign out there. We were like literally there to discover ourselves. And to become men, so to speak. And and we didn't know as much at the time. We were just like, wow, this is a mate. We can do anything. This is unreal. Like, I mean, running through the mountains, you know, for hours on end and just like, I, it was crazy. So I came back from that trip and my parents sat me down and said, you know, what'd you think? And I said, wow, it was unbelievable. I had the time of my life. And they were like, what do you think it means for you? And I said, well, I, I mean, as much as I can tell, I'm supposed to be an adult now. And they said, exactly. You're an adult now. You know, at 13 years old, you are in charge of your own life. Now you can make all of your own decisions, but you have to be responsible for the, you know, any of the consequences that come with those decisions. And the only rule is that, you know, the only financial support in any capacity that you'll receive from us is if you're in school. So, you know, we'll, we'll provide minimal living assistance if you're pursuing education. If you drop out of school tomorrow, that's fine, but you're on your own. And so those were kind of the rules. Um, for me, <laughs> as soon as someone told me I was an adult at 13, uh, I immediately was like, sweet, uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to drop out of traditional school, I'm going to join a kayak academy, uh, and I'm going to kayak nonstop. And I remember both of my parents kind of going, well, you know, wait a minute, I'm not sure, if you, you know, that's not exactly what we were going for. But that's what I did. And they couldn't say no, because they just told me I could do anything. And so that's, you know, that's what I did. I dropped out of a traditional public school. Uh, joined uh, what at the time was called Adventure Quest Kayak Academy and started traveling around the world kayaking. And in my summers, I would spend what little money I'd, you know, either saved up and or made from small sponsorships or, or earned as a kayak safety, you know, safety boater. Uh, and I would travel to places I'd always wanted to go. You know, I did the the European Teva tour in 1998 and spent some time in Africa and places like that. And, and just, you know, I was like, if I can do anything... The thing I want to do is kayak, and that's what I did. Coming up on Mountain Meister. I mean, I I literally, for I want to say 10, 12 years of my life, I was on the road kayaking at least 300 days a year. I mean, I kayaked almost every single day. 
Mountain Meister is supported by, you guessed it, the DeLorme InReach Explorer. It's the world's only satellite communicator with built-in navigation. With the InReach Explorer, you can send and receive messages, drop waypoints, plan routes, and share your journey from anywhere in the world. But its other features are what makes the InReach not only a navigation device, but also a survival kit. During emergency situations, you can trigger an SOS and interact with DeLorme's 24-7 search and rescue monitoring center. For $35 off of your purchase, and there's not much time left, visit inreachdelorme.com and use the code MEISTER at checkout. And now, back to the show. So this is kind of interesting. I mean, it ended up working out for you, but I'm sure that there are other people out there who tried to pursue this, but it didn't work out, and not just in kayaking, in many other sports. Uh, but we don't normally hear those stories. Uh, what do you think separated you? Why were you able to make this work um, when others aren't able to? Oh, man. I think it's I think it's a number of things. I think it's a lot of luck, again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, my parents had opened me up to so many opportunities. I'd met so many amazing uh, kayakers that did live around the world. So I had these places to go and, and that kind of springboarded me into, into the limelight a little bit because in paddling with these people around the world, I was getting in these films and that, you know, one thing led to another. It was like the snowball. Um, I think I, you know, without trying to sound arrogant, I, I had a bit of a physical knack for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that coupled with the fact that my parents, especially in that time, started me really young. I mean, at nine years old, there were probably three or four other kayakers in the country at that age paddling, you know, like Andrew Holcomb, Rusty Sage, a couple others that also became professional uh, kayak athletes for a time. Um, and so is, you know, I think, again, the perfect storm that the fact that my parents at 13 empowered me to make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those decisions for me were to pursue the sport of kayaking, which again, I got to jump on it. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I think they, they afforded me some amazing opportunities. I cho- I made some really lucky decisions and I was, uh, at the right place at the right time. And, and all of those things sort of worked out well. I think the other thing was that I was really unrelenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I wasn't uh, willing to, to to give up. I wasn't willing to say no. I wasn't willing to sacrifice any opportunities to be kayaking. Uh, and I also didn't have my, my mind set on becoming a professional athlete. So there was no failure. There was, mm. I was really just present. I just wanted to go have these amazing kayak adventures. And I, I always thought that I would end up in college and then I would get a normal job and kayaking would fade a little bit in my life and become the weekend warrior that, you know, my parents were. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. But, uh, so, so I guess part of it was just that I had no expectations and so I couldn't fail. And, and, uh, and then one day, like I said, I woke up and I was like a Nike sponsored athlete and traveling 300 days a year and getting paid for it. And I was like, whoa, that's yeah. cool. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> you, you said luck there. I say this thing about luck sometimes is luck is a function of the number of times you give yourself to be lucky. So, you know, you can be open to opportunities and then hopefully eventually luck will come your way. It sounds like that applies to you. You're open to these opportunities and you went after them when, when they were there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, sure. That's a, that's a great way to look at luck and I wouldn't argue that or disagree with it at all. I think it's, you know, if you, uh, if you gamble enough times, you're going to win and or lose, you know, like you, <laughs> you just have to put yourself out there enough to give yourself the opportunity to succeed. And I think, um, 
I mean, I, I literally, for I want to say 10, 12 years of my life, I was on the road kayaking at least 300 days a year. I mean, I kayaked almost every single day. You know, the only days I didn't kayak were when I was traveling to a river to go kayaking. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I, if you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, kind of kind of hard not to become a professional <laughs> kayak athlete. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about first descents now. You were 18 years old when you started this? I was, yeah. Which, you know, it's funny. Like, everyone's always kind of pointed that out to me. And literally, until this year, for some reason, it didn't sink in that that was even remotely different uh-huh. or weird. Uh, well, but you, yeah, you had your, your adulthood start a little earlier, I guess, than some others. So maybe that was part of it. But still 18 years old, That is that is young. It is young. I, you know, it's funny though. I think it almost worked in my favor, favor because now, you know, b- being a bit more jaded and experienced and mm-hmm. if someone, you know, if, if, if someone was like, Hey Brad, you should start uh, a kayak, you know, camp for young adults with cancer and make it a nonprofit and pay for everything for them. I'd be like, are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's a, there's no way that'll work. That's crazy. But when I was 18, I was just like, oh, this is absolutely the right thing to do, and I'll find a way to make it work. I was just, you know, uh, almost naive to the point of um, of of it succeeding. Like, yeah. I was just like, there's no way it can't work. I believe in it so much. I'm so passionate about it, and I'll figure out all the things I don't know. That's, yeah. The, the, yeah, exactly. No, the um, that makes perfect sense. And a lot of times, like, coming in with that uh, motivated, fresh perspective, it works. Why... Why did you want to do it at a, such a young age? Like, what what inspired you to start a nonprofit? Oh, it was an a, again kind of the perfect storm. It was a number of things. Uh, for me, it was I was you know again eighteen years old. I was at this uh, crossroads in my life of uh, I just picked up a Nike sponsorship, and uh, I was sort of I and I'd also simultaneously been accepted to college. And so I was staring down this crossroads of, of like, okay, w- which route do I, you know, path do I choose here? And uh, I thought I thought long and hard about that. It wasn't an easy decision for me. And I ended up ultimately, obviously, choosing whitewater kayaking as a as a profession over attending college. Uh, just thinking, you know, college will always be there, but this opportunity with kayaking will not. So uh, I just couldn't turn my back on it. And that was the rational reason, of course. I mean. There was just no stopping me. I just wanted to paddle. So, um, but with that decision, I recognized too that you know kayaking, it, it, not even kayaking, being an athlete in general, I think is uh, it's it's a really amazing experience. But it's a really gluttonous existence. It's very self-serving. Uh, you're you know you are the only one uh, promoting yourself, benefiting from this. You know you're talking about yourself. You're having all these amazing life experiences, but it's all about you, and that's. To me, that seemed like a really wasted opportunity. Here I was, uh, you know, with sponsors with access to all these uh, these people and these rivers and these outfitters and all this gear, and, and I was really in a position to uh, to give that experience of kayaking that had been so transformative to me and so important to me to to someone else who I thought you know could benefit a lot more from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, what a cool gift, you know? Okay, well, that if I can if if I can find a way to give that gift to someone else, then this decision to be a professional athlete will be, will be worth it, mm-hmm. worthwhile. It'll be meaningful. It'll, it'll mean that I chose this for a bigger purpose. Uh, and so 
the, the question of who to give that experience to was a really easy one for me to answer. As soon as I asked myself the question, I had the answer. And the, and the answer was young adults with cancer. Uh, and very simply, my aunt had been diagnosed with uh, breast cancer when I was 12 years old. And our family really went through that with her. And it was very eye-opening to me. You know, as, as uh, uh, a privileged young white male in America, I'd seen very little bad in my life. And so to see someone so close to me that I love so much go through such a hard time, to see how isolated she was and how uh, sort of um, uh, th- there just weren't any support services for her outside of our family. And mm-hmm. so uh, that always stuck with me. Shortly thereafter, I started volunteering locally at various pediatric on- oncology programs, teaching kids with cancer actually how to kayak. And that really opened my eyes to this opportunity to give back, seeing how much fun it was for them to be in the boat, seeing how much fun it was for me to be in the water with them. And, you know, being a part of that process was just really eye-opening as well. And so there again, when I asked myself the question of how can I do more with this sport of kayaking, should I choose it as my profession? The answer was very simple teach people with cancer how to kayak. And uh, that was sort of the very first, you know, step or, or sort of the stake in the sand, you know, that began the journey for First Ascents. And uh, it took about two years from the day I decided that, uh, that I was going to teach people with cancer how to kayak for free and I was going to start a nonprofit mm-hmm. until the first camp we actually hosted in 2001. It was, it was, uh, it was a challenging two years to say, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, and now you're doing more than just paddling, right? You have other sports. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. In 2008, we did uh, kind of a rock climbing uh, sort of mountaineering program out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and it was incredibly successful. Uh, for, for those first seven or eight years, uh, we had a lot of participants contacting us or, or, you know, young adults contact us saying, hey, I really want to do this, but, uh, you know, I can't kayak or I don't want to kayak. Do you offer anything else? And so finally in 08, we thought, let's try something else. So we did climbing. Uh, had the same exact impact, you know, the same exact effect, so to speak, mm-hmm. and that, you know, the participants went into this, had the the, the week, you know, with a lot of uh, distress and, and maybe some challenges in their life, went through the process of learning to climb and came out the back end of that week completely transformed. And uh, that's what we had seen with kayaking. So for me, that was a really big aha moment to say to see like wow that you know this we can offer the same experience through various different avenues in the outdoors uh so shortly thereafter we added surfing same exact experience you know same exact results awesome powerful experience for these guys uh and then we've since added uh you know rock climbing we've done glacial mountaineering multi-day rafting and trekking trips uh all sorts of stuff all over the world so it's it's been really cool to see, you know, I, I think any one of us, you know, listening to this or, or who, who is a part of this outdoor movement can relate. Like when we're in the outdoors, there's something amazing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not specific to any one experience. Yeah. I'm curious, you mentioned being a privileged white male. Um, I'm, I'm a white male too. I would say I'm privileged. Um, you are dealing with people who are just unlucky a lot of the times. Um, cancer is kind of mysterious and sometimes you can only attribute the way that you got it to being unlucky. I'm wondering, do you ever feel guilty at times? I even, I don't know. I sometimes feel this guilty feeling when I'm talking to somebody who the only reason the way they are is because of bad luck. Do you ever feel that? That's a really interesting question. Um, and that's what it is, is bad luck, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like, 
I, I, we have so many participants who, who, who have never smoked anything, who, who have never had a single drink of alcohol, who eat incredibly healthy, who get diagnosed with stage four metastatic disease. It's, it's like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's bad luck. Um, and, and it's funny you ask that because the first program we did, I went into it with that, that feeling of guilt, right? Like I went into it thinking uh, I'd, I'd had very little interaction with, with the pop, well, with, with the young adult population, it was just my aunt. And of mm-hmm. course, like that was my aunt. It's a different situation. With these guys, I was like, they don't know me. You know, here they see this, this young athlete who's, who is healthy, who's living, you know, this awesome life. And here I am with cancer. And like, all I could think was like, they're going to judge me. They're going to hate me. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to be upset with me, you know, they're in. And, and so I did go into that feeling guilty and that went away within like 10 minutes of being there. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, like it, it just wasn't even an issue. Uh, and so I, I've never really felt it since. Huh. I think if anything, uh, for me, it's just been this, this awareness, this perspective of like, uh, you know, regardless of our circumstances, we all have uh, somewhat of an obligation to live every day we're given. And those days, you know, if anything, I've seen that they can become numbered very quickly. Uh, our health is is something that, you know, it's a gift that can be fleeting. And, you know, just this awareness, this perspective that I try to apply to each and every one of my days makes me feel like I'm honoring their process and my process. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's sort of a uh, uh, again, like that perspective I've been given through my interactions with them it kind of takes away any guilt I might feel, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, we we once had a triathlete on the show a while ago who was all about playing the cards that you're dealt. Um, and I, I think that applies to both the people that are involved with your program trying to play the cards that they're dealt, but also are privileged white males. I mean, you have to live your life. Good answer there. Yeah. Let's get a gear recommendation from you, Brad. Uh, every person that comes on the show, uh, at least if I remember to ask them, gives a gear recommendation. Um, <laughs> and I'll say that we don't always talk about it on this show, but when we do, we prefer that it comes from the 2008 Cosmo Bachelor of the Year. Uh, wow, wow, of course. <laughs> My gear recommendation would be to not wear a shirt in public as right. often as possible. <laughs> no, uh, I love it. I love it. You know, I'm going to give maybe maybe a, a somewhat unsuspecting gear recommendation, but uh, I've worked in some capacity with Smith sunglasses for a long time, and and mostly by choice. Like they, they've just, it's like family over there. They're good friends of mine, and they have this slogan, you know, making great days better. And I really believe that like there's something about a good pair of sunglasses that no matter the circumstances, when you're outside, if you throw on a good pair of sunnies, like things just get a little bit better. Uh, and so that's like the one piece of gear. Like if I leave home without a pair of sunglasses, I freak out. I literally, I've, I've called Smith and been like, I need, I need some overnighted to this foreign country like immediately. And they're just like, dude, come on. <laughs> so I would save a pair of Smith Serpicos. Those are like my go-to. I, I fly small airplanes and they're like the aviator shade. So I feel like Top Gun when I wear them. The Smith Serpicos on Brad's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Finally, Brad, we want one more uh, piece of advice from you, and that is who you would like to hear as the next Mountain Meister on this show. Oh, man. Uh, This is such a tough one. You guys have had such an amazing lineup so far that I feel like there's a lot of weight in this (laughs) suggestion. Um I'm, I'm going to go with Rush Sturges. 
uh, he's, he's a dear friend of mine. He's a, arguably like the best kayaker in the world right now. Uh, and he's just, he, I think there's more than meets the eye, so to speak with that kid. And so I think people could really benefit from hearing him talk on this, on this show. I think, uh, just learning more about him, you know, obviously he's like on surface level, he's one of the best paddlers in the world, but there's so much more going on there. And he's such a, a diverse, talented, kind person. And, uh, I just think he has a story to tell that's worth hearing. So that, that'd be my suggestion. And I, I, I hope it happens cause I'd love to listen to it. Great for the listeners to keep an ear out for Russ on this show on a future episode. Brad, there is uh, a lot of responsibility on the on the part of the guest who's recommending the future guest. We had somebody recommend Lewis and Clark one time. Uh, <laughs> that, that would be uh, one of our more prestigious uh, guests on Mountain Meister. Brad London, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed. I did, Ben. Thank you for having me, man. Such an honor. For the listeners, you can find out more about First Ascents at firstascents.org. We'll also have highlights of today's episode on our website on Brad's Meister profile page, mtnmeister.com. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Ben. Hi, all. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Brad Ludden. A lot of fun talking to him. Not sure if you can tell, but I think allergy season has hit Boston, and it's affecting my voice. I'm, I'm kind of talking like this. <laughs> uh, let's see. What do I need to tell you guys? Um, uh, the marathon's coming up. I'm running the Pittsburgh Marathon on May 3rd, trying to beat my New York time. Feeling good. We'll see. Uh, I'll update you on that. Besides that, I think that's, that's everything. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Mountain Meister. Uh, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to this podcast. I'm the host, Ben Shank. <laughs>